Uh, we are in a series on the book of John. Uh, we've been going through John. I've been loving it. God's been convicting me and working with me and, and, and working on me, and it's just it's been great. And occasionally, as you go through a, a series like this, things will pop in your head that you'll think about, I'd like to, that would be a good tie-in. And so today, we're going to do a rabbit trail, all right? We're going to do one of Bob's rabbit trails. And I really have started thinking about that we need to have some sort of intro music for rabbit trails, Kind of like, uh, like if you've ever, if you've ever watched, oh, I'm going to date myself, Wayne's World, right? We could be going, rabbit trail, rabbit trail, Bob's on, a rabbit trail, something like that. So I'd like our musicians to start working on that. Um, yeah, so one time, one time when I went to see my mom down in Alabama, uh, I think one of our guitarists just started going, darn, 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 and just started playing Sweet Home Alabama. I'm like, yes, yes, I'm going to go see my mom in Sweet Home Alabama. Okay. So we are going to go on a rabbit trail. We're going to talk about this because I feel like there's so much that's been going on in the book of John that we have to kind of take this little, this little side, side road here, mainly because, and I've been talking about it, I know till you just like, oh, he says it every time. We've been talking about how Jesus started talking about having life. He started talking about eternal life, and he contrasted two Greek words, bios, which is just physically existing, physical life, just eating and drinking, you know, and then he talks about zoe. Now, zoe is this life that has purpose. It has meaning. It, it, it finds fulfillment, right? It's the difference between saying, I go to work, oh, I hate my job. I hate my job. It's just misery, and I grit my teeth and get through the day between going, you know what? While I'm at work, I may meet someone who's never heard about Jesus, I might have an opportunity. I may be able to pray with somebody. I may be able to say a kind word to somebody, right? So that's, that's the difference. And Jesus tacks the word eternal onto Zoe to show that it's a whole different kind of life. So it's eternal life. And that's that whole idea that it's life that goes on and on and on, full of meaning, full of purpose. And we talked about this. You don't want eternal bios. You don't want that. That's hell. Because that's merely existing for eternity. It's a horrifying thought, right? You want eternal zoe, eternal life. And so I started thinking about that. Well, how does that translate into our lives in a a more applicable way? And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at a psalm that David wrote, and and we're going to talk about this because this is so appropriate for us. Does Does my life have meaning? Does my life have purpose? Or, and this is what I love about Scripture, it just shows us everything. Or is life like this? Ecclesiastes 1, 2, and 3, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, the knowledgeable one. That word is for somebody who's like the teacher of everyone. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? All right? The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is facing life head on, clarity, saying, look, I understand it. I see it. I see this bios that we have, and it's meaningless. And then he says, utterly meaningless. That means there's not a shred of meaning, nothing. Living, and, and you just think about that, living a life that means nothing, that is a horrifying thought. Now, it's interesting because as I've read books and, you know, 
that is a position that some people take. Atheists, for instance, say, look, we, we face it. Life means nothing. You got to pull up, you know, you know, pull up your bootstraps and just face the fact that life is meaningless. In a thousand years, nobody will know who you were or care. In 10,000 years, there'll probably be no human beings left. I mean, whatever it is. This, so what they say is, we just need to face it. Life is totally meaningless, and then we just need to live. Well, how do you live with that? And some of them, they have different ideas. Some will say, you make up your own meaning. Make it up. But I, I got to believe, I, I got to tell you, I, I just feel like that's, it just doesn't do it for me because I know I made it up, right? If I make up a meaning, it's not bigger than me because I made it up. That doesn't sound good. That's like saying, you know, oh, it'd be good if I was God. No, it wouldn't. It would not be good at all if I was God. There are people here who know me. They're like, no, oh, oh, no thanks, Bob, not you right? So, does God have a purpose for your life, and how do you find it? And and I just want to put a key in here, because we've been talking about meaning and purpose in John a bit, and I want to remind ourselves of something. I do not follow God because he brings meaning into my life. I follow God because he's God. Now, the flip side of that is God does bring meaning into our lives. He does bring purpose into our lives. But that's not the point, because if my point is simply for me to get meaning or me to get purpose, well, I'm just doing it just like as if I made it up. I'm doing it totally for me, and it becomes all about me. And the point is, it's not all about us. We talk about that all the time here. This morning is not about you. It's about God. Now, making it about God can oftentimes bring blessing, knowledge, wisdom into our lives. But we make it about God because he's God. So purpose and meaning in life are essential for living because purpose can make even dull and uninteresting things become meaningful. We have to remember that. Uh, um, It's interesting, for a while I I got into some some, uh, fantasy sports, playing uh, in leagues, football leagues and and hockey and soccer leagues, you know, where you you all have teams. And I found myself, it's something very interesting, I found myself sometimes watching games that I had no interest in at all, except that I had one or two players on my fantasy team who were playing in that game. And suddenly I watched it. It's interesting. Something that would have been dull and uninteresting suddenly became interesting because somehow it connected with something else. This is what purpose and meaning do for us. For example, if your boss asks you to come in one Saturday morning, And he said, I need you to work. I can't give you overtime. I can just give you regular pay. I need you to work. I got 10,000 envelopes that have come in in the mail, and we need to open them and sort the contents. And you're like, that sounds like the worst thing in the world to do. Sit at a table and open envelopes. He goes, by the way, the corporate office has sent you a huge bonus, and it's in one of those envelopes. Now, see see how suddenly your attitude changed? Now, suddenly, it's like it's a Wonka bar, right? You're looking for the golden, you're like, yeah, yeah, what is this? Correspondence, no, mm, what is this? Oh, somebody's in trouble, no, ah, what is this? What is this? Where's my, ch-? what happens? Your, your attitude changes. Why? Because suddenly you found purpose, you found meaning in doing what you do. And so let's read this psalm. You can, uh, we're, we're looking at Psalm 57, and uh, you can uh, follow along if you have it, your Bible, or if you have it uh, in, in, on your phone, whatever. 
It says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to the Most High, to God, who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. Salah. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie with, among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down, bowed down in distress. They dig, dug a pit in my path. But they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. Selah is like a, a musical word. We're not 100% sure what it is, but maybe there's a chorus that goes there or some instrumentation that goes there. It's a, this is a song. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above all above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, I want to just set the scene in this. First of all, if you notice, uh, some of you may notice at the very top of that psalm, it says this. It says, for the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, that was a song, it's of David, a mictum, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. So he, it, David's saying, here's this song, and I got the tune that I want you to sing it to. And the tune is, Do Not Destroy. We don't know that tune. It probably was a billboard top 101, you know, kind of like, you know, saying to the tune of Hello by Adele. You know, you'd, you know what to sing it by. And, and, and interestingly, the song is basically saying, do not annihilate me, please. Uh, the, the, the song, the do not destroy seems to be this kind of a do not deny, annihilate me. And it, <laughs> I was listening to the radio, and it made me think of this, all right? It made me think of this song that's about a guy who goes into a bar, and there's this cute girl, and he starts dancing with her at the bar, and all of a sudden her husband walks in with a gun, right? And the chorus of the song is, some of you know this, right? Give me three steps. Give me three steps, mister. Give me three steps to the door, and you won't see me no more. And the song goes about that. There's a famous song by a theological group named Leonard Skinner, where they're trying to illustrate what this do not... Dis- <laughs> I got a blank slide ready, see, just so you won't stare at Leonard Skinner. <laughs> uh, and, but that's, that's what that song is about, right? That song is, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And that seems to be the music David wanted this set to. Because what's going on? David has been told that he's going to be the next king. Saul, who is the present king, has found out about that and decided, I can, I can stop that. I'll kill him. Saul has his army chasing David. David goes and he finds a cave and he hides in the cave and his men have spread out some. And Saul's army comes right up by that cave. And Saul comes into the cave and takes a nap or goes to sleep um, with his army, with his army, and actually goes towards the back of the cave and uses the bathroom. And David's hiding in a little corner. And, and, and so this, this whole thing is, is that um, David decided, I will not kill Saul. I will not kill him because he is God's anointed. I have no right to kill him. The only one who can kill him is God. And so 
he hides out, he gets, you know, he gets away, all this stuff. But that's what's going on. That's the background of this psalm. And so when it talks about these people who are chasing him, that's Saul's army. You know, and David has his small army. And, and, and they're great fighters, but, you know, sometimes I used to think, why, why doesn't David just, David just stand and fight? Well, because if you're 400 good fighters, but they got 10,000 mediocre fighters, you're still going to lose, right? You're still going to lose. And so he has to keep on the run, running kind of a guerrilla action. So notice in this psalm, David does not ask God to kill Saul. In fact, David's not willing to kill Saul, and he does not ask God to do that. He's just like, this is totally God's prerogative. And you think of how hard that must have been for David's men. Don't kill Saul, you know, and they're like, uh, David, until we kill him, things are not getting better. We're going to be on the run. We're going to be struggling. We're going to be losing people occasionally, right? And David does not, in this psalm, ask God to change things or fix things. He doesn't say, God, my name is mud. Please fix my reputation. They're slandering me. I would like a nicer place to stay instead of this dark, smelly cave. He doesn't say that. He might want them. He might want this to happen. But he sees, David gets some, he get, he gets some perspective. He sees there's something much bigger going on than he, than he totally understands. Because you see that in, the, in his focus. His focus in this whole thing is that God would be glorified. He says, God, you're doing something, right? His, God, you're, you're weaving this tapestry with millions of lives that is going to be beautiful at the end. It's going to honor you. It's going to point to you. It's going to be incredible. But all I see is my one little inch of the tapestry. That's my life. I can't see the whole picture. And so David, recognizing that, is saying, God, I yield to you on this. You know the whole thing. And so here he is. You know, he's looking at this. He's thinking about this. He realizes something. He realizes that, in, and he says it in verse 5 and verse 11, I think seven or 5 and 11, I think he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. That's my focus. That's my focus. So his focus is on God, not on his problems. He talks about his problems, but the focus is what's key here. And so here's some ideas about purpose for us to learn from this psalm. First of all, focus on God. That focus on God is just is the key to purpose. And this applies to huge things. It applies to little things in your life. You could be going through right now a terrible time. Or right now, maybe you're just a little bored and restless. Maybe things seem pointless to you right now, at work or school or at home. It doesn't matter, big or little. The key is we focus on God. That's the key to purpose. And David sees, he sees that God is what's important in all of this. God's glory, David understands, is more important than his safety or comfort. Jesus says something very similar to that. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, what Jesus is saying is there's something bigger going on here than you. If your focus is just me, my life, my comfort, all the things associated with me, this is my total, this is what it's all about. 
He says, what you're going to do is you're going to lose the very thing you're, you're seeking. You're, you're like, this is my foundation. This is what I trust. And you're going to lose it. It's going to let you down. But he says, if your focus is this, I'll follow God. I want what God wants. I want to honor him with my life. He says, what you do is you reap these other things. Purpose and meaning. A point to your life. They come through that. And this is where so many times the gospel is counterintuitive. The person who gives up gets. That's what happens. Now, the crazy thing is, if you simply focus on what you'll get, you've gone back to this direction. Your focus has to be here. That stuff will come, but your focus has to be here. And it's so easy. Listen, I understand. It is so easy for us to lose our focus. It is so easy for us to think about personal comfort, to think about ourselves, to think just about our family. And those are important things. They're not unimportant things. But the number one focus needs to be God. And David sees that. And Jesus teaches that. He says there's a way that seems right. In Proverbs, a way that seems right. And that way leads to frustration and meaningless and death. And here he's explaining it in Luke 9. He's saying, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If your life is your focus, you'll keep grasping and grasping for life. And we talked about this the other day, you know, when, 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 when we were studying in John, glory graspers. That's what we are, people whose hands are empty, wanting, wanting, wanting glory. And Jesus was the one who gave glory up for our, on our behalf. And so the first thing that comes to mind here I was looking at this verse. This is from Psalm 23. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the first thing we have to remember here is why? Because God knows the whole story. We only see one small part. He knows the whole story. None of my kids are here today, so I can just lay, I'm going to lay into it. No. <laughs> when my kids were growing up, we had certain rules. And they were formed by our knowledge, my wife and I, our knowledge of the world and the dangers that are in the world, right? They could not fathom, especially when they were little, they could not fathom the dangers of cars, of ocean, of strangers. They just couldn't do it. And so in those areas, certain things, we required unquestioning obedience. This is not up for discussion. Now, Parents here, you know, when something's not up for discussion, it usually is something that they sense by the tone of your voice, right? They're like, eh, no. And they're like, okay, this is not up for discussion, right? And so I would tell my kids, there's lots of things that are up for discussion. As long as we discuss this in a way that's it's polite and, 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 and okay with each other, that's fine. I don't mind you questioning what I, what I rules that I have in the proper context, but certain things are not up for, they're not up for discussion like just running out into the street. That's not up for discussion. And one of the times, one of the times that happened, uh, one of my daughters, I'm not going to name the daughter because they always get back to me on this. Um, one of my daughters, we were between two cars and I was starting to look and she didn't even look and she just started running out and I, there's a car. And I grabbed her arm and I mean, I jerked her back. And her first thing was, 
you hurt me. Why did you? I'm going to tell mom. I'm like, go tell mom about that 3,000 pound car that I just jerked you out of. Go tell her that, right? I'm not, I wasn't going to say, hey, listen, let's talk about this, Reagan. Oh, (laughs) yeah, okay. Uh, So, (laughs) shoot, man. Um, So I said, okay, this cat's out of the bag. So Reagan, you dummy. No, let's talk about this. I didn't say that. Let's, let's consider this. Have you thought about looking both ways? Do you understand physics? No, she's three, right? I can't let her learn that knowledge. There's no time because it's a millisecond until she's a pancake, right? So I just have to grab and jerk. And it hurt. I know it hurt because I, I pulled her off her feet. Why? Because I was scared, right? You ever had that sense? You, you, you feel like you're going to watch your child right? So she's mad at me because that hurt. Do you realize that sometimes in your life, God jerks you out of the way of a car? He jerks you out of the way, and it hurts. Sometimes it can hurt. It's not because I liked hurting my daughter. It's because suddenly I was faced with a huge choice, and a little bit of pain was worth. It's worth it. Sometimes God does that for you, and you don't know why. The car went by. She's too busy looking at me, whining about how much I hurt her arm to even realize she just almost got run over. And so, you know, I'm going to explain that to her, and I'm going to let her run to her mother and complain because I know Bev and I, we got it. you know. I always tell them I loved your mother before you were ever around. So guess who's going to win this one, right? That's the way it is. Jerking back a child from a car is because I saw more of the picture than she saw. And our God does that to me, to us. Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He says, there is a path of life. There is a way that we're going and God is showing us as we go. And God is giving us, he's giving us instruction. And some of them, it's really a very small part of the Bible, but some of them are non-negotiables. Much of it are gray areas that we figure out personally, between us and God. But some of them are non-negotiables because God is saying there's something bigger going on than you know. There is a path here that you can't see, but I can. And so from the beginning, we've been trying to find meaning and purpose for ourselves. And from the very beginning, people started putting themselves at the center rather than God, telling God, we don't need you. And we do the same thing. We say, I'm going to be the center. I'm going to be the boss. I know the best way. I know the right way. That's called sin. That's what that is. It started in the beginning and it's still going strong. But God decided, he decided to to allow us to not love him if we so decide, if that's what we want. Why? You know, you ever thought about that? Why? Why didn't he just force us all? He He could have done it. He could have forced us all to love him. But everybody knows, anybody who's ever been in love knows this. It's only love when the other person freely chooses to love you. That's what love really is. And so God wanted a creation that was centered on love. He wanted us to be able to freely choose. And we've chosen wrong so much of the time. 
if you, if you don't understand, I mean, I hear some people talk about that, and, but the two words I never had to teach my kids were no and mine. I never had to teach them that, right? I wanted to get every one of them this T-shirt. What is this word no you speak of? I love that. I love that. I felt like I got that in various ways from my kids all the time. I never had to send my kids to rebellion camp. You're going to go and you're going to learn all about disobedience. It'll be a week of fun, right? They never had to stay after school to be tutored in selfishness. That did not have to get worked on, right? They got them naturally from their mom, I think. is um, She's not here either. <laughs> oh, we're streaming. Bev, I, that's just no. Okay. When you look at a photo, think about this. You ever done this? When you look at a photo, like maybe you're a photo of you with a group of friends, right? And if all your friends look great, but you look dumb, or you're making a weird noise, or you're, or you're a weird face, or your one eye's closed, you go, that photo's terrible. But if it's a photo of your friends, and they all are, uh, or, or, but you look great, you're like, that's a good photo. I'll frame that, put it in my office, right? Because we focus on ourselves. We're so self-centered, and we don't have to work at it. We can be that way in our prayer lives and make our prayers all about us. We tend to live if we're at the center. <clears throat> and this is not what we're talking about when we talk about a life of purpose and meaning. We have to understand that because when God doesn't give us what we want, we get angry, we walk around confused. God, how am I supposed to tell everybody you're a good, good father when you're letting this happen in my life? I don't understand. What are you up to? And God basically is saying, this is what I'm up to. I'm up to my glory. This is what it's about. And David realizes that. He says, this is not about me. It is all about God. God is not interested in being just a part of your life. He wants to be at the center of it. He wants to be the focus. And I know a lot of times people come to Christ because they want help with something. Maybe they're sick, depressed, there's a work situation, there's a family situation. I understand how that can happen. But just understand that if that's you, that's how you're coming to Christ. He's got more. He wants it all. Because that one little thing is not the only thing. you got a whole life full of it, and he wants to be at the center of it. And so we, our first is God's focus is the key. Uh, focus on God is the key to purpose. The second one is God's purpose in your life begins with what he's doing in you what he's doing in you, because God is really interested in your character. Your comfort levels aren't as important. It's about making you holy, not just making you happy. You know, we've, we, and, and happiness, your happiness is not unimportant to God. But there's other things that are more important. So David's on the run. He can't stand and fight because he's totally outgunned. So it's a lot of hiding and waiting. Maybe a short attack and then hiding for a long time and waiting. But like this cave he's in, it's not his refuge. A refuge is a place of safety. David is saying, this is not my place of safety. God, you are. He says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. He says, this dark hiding place is not my security. You're my security. I'm here for the moment, but you ultimately 
are my security. So David was trusting something, and not his army, not this band of outlaws that had gathered with him. First um, Samuel 22, 2 says all these men came to him who were men who had been cast out or ostracized or were on the run from the law. And he said he had about 400. So David's got this, this army of 400, and they're not stellar, right? They're not, they're not the upstanding part of the community. And so he knows he can't stand and fight. He knows he can't trust in his ability. I mean, he's good with a slingshot, sure, but when it's thousands and thousands of people, there's only so many rocks. Right? And it's not his righteousness that he's secure in. He keeps asking for mercy because he acknowledges that he doesn't measure up. We've talked about this in John, this sense of being humble, this humbleness of seeing myself for who I really am and knowing that I don't measure up and knowing that he loves me anyways because he loves me. And so... When we see the focus on God is the key, God's purpose in your life is very important. There's a great verse for this that I like. Let me just read it to you. It's from Jeremiah chapter 9. He says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast in his riches. Now, let me, let me just understand that in those days and, and what this word means, it's not this idea of saying, look at me, I'm so cool, you know, I'm, I'm handsome, I look, I look like Bob Mosley, awesome, right? It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. What it means is when you boasted, what you did was you declared where your trust was, right? You declare where your trust was. So like when David was going to fight Goliath, David didn't say, boo, yeah, dude. I'm going to nail you. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. I trust him. That was David's boast. I trust God. Goliath had his boast. He he boasted about himself, the strength. And so when you read boast, especially in the Old Testament, understand that's somebody laying out what they trust. And so we we could say here, let not the wise man trust, express his trust of his wisdom. Let not the strong man tell everybody how much he trusts his strength, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm so strong. Or let, the, let not the rich man tell everybody how he trusts in his riches. But, here we go, let him boast about this, that he understands and knows me. God is saying, here's, here's, here's what you should be boasting in, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So he says, okay, if you're going to talk about what you trust, here's what you should be trusting in, that you you know God, you understand God. I, I read what he says. I understand what he wants. I understand how what's important to him. And he says, this is what's important to me. Kindness. Boast in that, that God is kind. Therefore, I will be kind. Justice. God is just. Therefore, I will seek justice in all situations. Righteousness. God is right. He's holy. That's what I want to be. And then to emphasize it, he says, these are my delight. This is what I delight in. Delight is this, this, this idea of just, I find great joy in this. This is my heartbeat, kindness, justice, righteousness. Understand that. Understand me because this is what my heartbeat is. 
so that my heartbeat is, is that when, when, when my sheep is lost, I do everything to find that sheep. When my heartbeat is when something of kernel importance to me is lost, I do everything to find. My heartbeat is that I will look for that wayward child every day and chase after him if I have to. That's my heartbeat. Understand that. Delight in that. You know, and we all know how that can work out in our lives. You, 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 sometimes you, you, uh, there's somebody that you care so much about. You love someone, and you do something for them, and they derive great pleasure from it. And them receiving that great pleasure gives you great pleasure. You delight in it. I love to see, you know, you love as a parent. You love to see your kid's face light up with joy. As, as a, a husband, I love to see my wife's face light up with joy. I delight in it. We just went on a, a vacation a few months ago, um, and, and uh, my wife is from New England, so I said, let's go on a road trip through New England. We're just going to look at places, some of the places you went as a kid. We're just going to go. And, and she was so excited. It, even though it's New England, I got excited about going, right? I, I just, I just I, it, it, it was awesome. It was awesome. And, and, um, we, we drove up, I, th- I think I told you guys, but we drove up, and I saw, I saw on, 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 the, uh, on my road trip thing, I saw, I can't think of the words now, I saw that we were going to go right by this place called Kimball's Ice Cream. It was a farm that started an ice cream stand that Bev went to when she was a little girl. And I was like, oh, this is too good. This is too good. And so I didn't even tell her. And she fell asleep. And I pulled off the highway. We pulled in. Just as we're pulling in, I nudged her. I said, hey, hey, look where we're at. She's like, where is this? And she looked at me, and I was like, win. I just won. I just won the sweepstakes. Best husband in the world. I just won. And, and she gave me a kiss. And of all five kisses, yeah, right, you know the whole story. The best kisses in the world. Why? And I took incredible, I was so happy. It's just an ice cream place. But her joy, I loved it. I delighted in it. See, so God says, this is what I delight in. And if you do this, you will delight in it too. It will bring you joy. It will bring you joy. And so David is saying here, I'm going to take, well, in Jeremiah, he's saying, I'm going to take refuge in this. I'm going to, this is going to be my boast. I know God. I know God. I want to follow him. This is what I treasure. This is what I delight in. Because our refuge is what we're trusting for safety. It's what we love. You know, in Psalm 52, David is talking to someone who's just betrayed him. And David says, you love your lies. You trust. You trust your lies. That's that's what you're trusting in. And he says, and you love the evil that you're doing. You're trusting the evil that you're doing. And if you think about that, psychologically, that is so true for us. Why does a person lie? Why, why do, I was going to say, why do I lie? Why do we all lie? Let's all jump in this boat together, okay? Why at times in our lives do we lie? Because we are trusting that lie to save us from something, to get us something. So our trust now, think about that. You are trusting a lie. You talk about the worst kind of thing to trust. And he tells them, you love the evil that you're doing. When we, when we sin, what are we doing? We're trusting that sin to get us something, save us from something. Whatever it is, I want that sin to help me. I trust it. 
What a terrible thing to trust in. What a terrible thing to put. No sane person would say, yes, I want to be a truster of lies. But we do it. But we do it. And David outlines it further. And he says, this is where you're taking refuge. And so for each one of us, you know, we have to say, I am taking refuge. You are taking refuge. Sounds like that sports app commercial. I am. You are. Right? I am taking refuge in a lie. You are taking refuge. in a- when we lie, we're trusting it. What is your refuge? Abilities? Rank? Power? Finances? Family? Health? Strength? Intelligence? What is your refuge? Jeremiah says, "Don't wise man, don't do that. Don't take refuge in that. Don't boast in that. Sometimes our refuge fails us. And God uses that in order to give us a better hope, to teach you there's something permanent for what you trust, permanent to trust in, something steadfast. Third point, I can live purposely regardless of my circumstances. Right? Focus on God is the key to purpose. God's purpose in your life begins with what he's doing in you. He's working in you. Thirdly, I can live purposely, regardless of the circumstances. David says in verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. David is saying, I'm in this cave. Saul's right there. There's 10,000 men right outside the door. I'm a dead man. This is, I, I can't take, God, you're my only hope. I take refuge in you. I boast in you. You're my foundation. I cry out to you because you are the person who is fulfilling my purpose in my life. He completes his work in me. In in Philippians 1.6, we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In verses, let me just, my heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. Think about what he's saying here. I'm about, I could possibly lose my life in the next five minutes. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Probably not in the cave, right? I will sing and make music. What is he saying here? What is he telling us? He's saying this, worshiping God should happen in any circumstance, in any circumstance. Singing, making music, showing my love for God should happen in the worst of times and in the best of times. And I know there are people here who can testify how worship got them through the worst of times in their lives. So, he says, awake, verse 8, awake my soul, awake for the musical instruments. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. David's saying, I understand there's something bigger here than me. This is something that may reflect out to all the nations. This is something that may go out to the whole world. David is looking at God's plan, taking the long view and saying, there's something more important than my personal comfort or safety at this moment. The whole world is a part of this. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. He says, there's something way bigger than me. Think about this incredible privilege we have as children of God. We serve the God who is accomplishing his purposes throughout the world, no, throughout the universe. And his glory is greater 
than anything we can see. And we have the privilege of being a part of that, of being involved in that. I think um, one of the things that's so interesting to me, and you know what, I'm going to ask, I'm going to be wrapping up here, ask the band to come back up. We're going to sing one more song. But I want you to look at this while they come up and try not to be too distracted. For when David has served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. David fulfilled his purpose, and he was buried. I want you to understand something. David, look at his life. He was a terrible person at times. He made huge mistakes. He murdered people. And yet God says, I still can accomplish my purpose in you. That is great news for us. That is great news for us. There's hope for all of us. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Have you murdered your best friend? Okay, then, and I don't see any hands go up. Any, anybody? Just you know, honest time. <laughs> There's policemen here that'll take you out. You know, have you murdered your best friend? David did. And so, and God redeemed him and used him anyways. God can use you. Doesn't make what David did okay but God can use you no matter what. He wants to use you so that you can have a verse like this at the end of your life. For when Bob Bob had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Man, that's that's the best thing to put on a tombstone that I could think of. To have God say that about you. So, what do you delight in? Are you living in Zoe or in Bios? Eternal Zoe. What is your focus? For a husband and wife, our our number one focus cannot be each other. For mom and dad raising kids, their number one focus has to be God. At work, God. At home, at the store, and vacation, in your spare time. We have to be like David and say, I will exalt and praise God in my words, in my actions, everywhere I go. Because at the end, in the book of Hebrews, I love this when he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set behold him, despised the cross, endured the shame. And he sat at the right hand of the throne of God. David, the, the, in, in, in the Greek, um, if you guys remember, we talked about David one time with Goliath, and David was the champion of the Israeli army, the Jewish army at the time. He was their champion. So we are not supposed to be David in that sense. We're part of the army. We're all standing hoping he wins, right? David was the champion, and he fought and won, and the results of his victory spread to everyone in his army. Jesus is our champion. He fought and won and the victory is spread about everyone, over everyone who becomes one of his followers. And so it's interesting, in, in Hebrews it says the author and perfecter, and author's not a bad translation of archagos, which is, but archagos is also the word for champion. He is the champion of your faith. He fought the battle for you. And it says he's the perfecter. He finishes it for you. He wants to do that for us. And so he died for the joy set before him. That was you. He endured the cross. 
He scorned, he thought little of the shame. And he sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. He did that for us. And so the question then becomes, how do we respond? We start by saying, where's my focus? It has to be on God. It has to be on God. And then we begin to live it out. We have these great opportunities. I don't know. You know, what's so awesome is you're, you're going to leave here and you're going to go somewhere that I won't go. I may never go in my whole life. You'll have the opportunity to impact people I may never know. And I'll have the opportunity to impact people you may never know. And this is how it works. This is how it works. As a part of the body of, the, a body of Christ, we do this and we all do this together.